Hello and welcome to this fifth podcast for the High North Dialogue 2015, a collaboration of the University of Nurland, the University's High North Center for Business and Governance, and the Arctic Institute. We are speaking with attendees and speakers about their work, the High North Dialogue, and the conference theme of security and business in the Arctic. Thanks for joining us. I'm Andreas Rosbachnik. Today we are talking with Heather Conley, Senior Vice President for Europe, Eurasia and the Arctic, and Director of the Europe Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington. Heather Conley has extensively written on Arctic issues and just recently published a report in cooperation with Caroline Roloff on the U.S. Arctic Council Chairmanship entitled Recommendations for the U.S. Arctic Council Chairmanship, Enhancing Policy Focus on Arctic Health and Well-Being. Dear Heather, thanks for joining us today. Time flies, and this year's High North Dialogue already dates back one month. If you look back upon the conference, what were your general impressions, and how do you think it differed from other Arctic conferences? Well, it, it's always a wonderful opportunity to visit uh, Buddha. Um, you know, I don't, as often as I'd like, uh, have an opportunity to speak to students and, and, and young professionals who want to engage in Arctic studies and Arctic research. So the, uh, it was a particular pleasure to be uh, in a beautiful university setting uh, and to, uh, to be very energized by a lot of very uh, excited and enthusiastic uh, young professionals. Um, you know, I, I have to say the the the, the impression that uh, the the conference left me was really um, the environment in which the uh, conference took place. So it was uh, in the middle of uh, some very unante- unanticipated, uh, unexpected uh, snap uh, Russian military exercises in the Arctic, uh, and it, it comes at a at a moment that uh, we are really trying to understand what the future of Arctic cooperation will look like uh, as, uh, you know, unfortunately, geopolitical tensions continue to increase between uh, the United States, Europe, uh, Canada, and Russia. So, uh, you know, I think it was the setting and understanding that uh, these are very, very real questions that we have to ask ourselves. It was a a good time to have that conversation, uh, to have some Russian colleagues speak at the conference. So it was, I thought, extremely uh, useful. One of the conference's key features of discussion was Arctic security, a broad term used to describe the region's manifold challenges and already previously discussed with some of the conference's speakers as, for instance, Michael Byers or Alexander Sergunin. Keeping the discussion in Buda in mind, what is your first association of the term Arctic security? Well, I I actually try to rephrase it and I talk about Arctic safety. So how can we safely uh, have human and commercial activity uh, exist in the Arctic? So that speaks to clearly search and rescue operations, oil spill prevention, response capabilities. You know, some some suggest that this is soft security. I actually I I don't accept that because any any type of uh, operations in the Arctic is just hard to do. Uh, it's it's this is not soft. These are very hard conditions and they require military operations. Now, sometimes different nations have different ways of expressing those type of operations for the United States. It's principally a a Coast Guard function. For other uh, Arctic nations, it's naval. Uh, For some, like Russia, it's their border guards. So, So, you know, we all have different 
uh, institutions and instruments, but this is really about Arctic safety. How can we make the Arctic a safe place for the people who live there today and for the people who seek uh, economic opportunity and and or protection uh, of the Arctic region? So I think everyone immediately, when you say Arctic security, they go, uh-oh, you're going to talk about the militarization of the Arctic. And I think in some ways, people have allowed that to shut down the conversation. And if we shut down the conversation, we can't talk about uh, how we can meet the challenges that are in the Arctic today, let alone trying to address uh, the future uh, safety challenges in the Arctic. By the end of April 2015, the United States assumes the chairmanship of the Arctic Council. According to your opinion and Arctic experience, what are the key challenges for the United States and how would you compare this time's chairmanship with the first one, both from 1998 to 2000? Exactly. The last time we assumed the chairmanship was in 1998. Um, well, I mean, and, and the Arctic Council was only two years old. Now, our next chairmanship, we are going to be celebrating a 20-year-old uh, inst uh, body. So in some ways, the Arctic Council has had a lot of growing to do uh, and, and has really been flourishing these last 20 years. The, the challenge for the U.S. chairmanship um, is really about sort of to that your first question. You know, we've only ever known the Arctic Council as a product of uh, the end of the Cold War and the warming of uh, relations with Russia. And so the question mark is: so how is the Arctic Council uh, going to function if the if we have a refreeze or a rechilling? of relations um, with Russia. So that will be one question that the chairmanship is going to have to grapple with. I think U.S. officials have stated very clearly that they see uh, the multilateral cooperation in the Arctic. Uh, they see Russia as being a cooperative partner. So I, I think the, the U.S. chairmanship is going to do its very best not to allow any of those geopolitical tensions to spill over. And we'll just have to wait and see how, how the relationship manifests itself and, and what impact that will have on the Arctic Council. The other two challenges I think that our U.S. chairmanship will face that uh, we did not face in 1998 is the fact that you know, in 1998, I'm not sure the Arctic, other than for researchers and scientists, environmentalists, captured that many headlines. Well, today uh, it certainly captures a lot of headlines and not just the interest of Arctic states, but particularly of non-Arctic states. We were not talking about China constructing its second uh, icebreaker or uh, having, uh, having a much more significant Chinese interest as an observer to the Arctic Council. So this whole non-Arctic dimension, you know, what does it mean that India has become an observer? What does it mean that Japan, South Korea, Singapore, others have joined this? And so the, the U.S. chairmanship is going to have to manage both the positive side, which is a lot of interest and enthusiasm in the Arctic, and to participate in the Arctic Council to maintain that the Arctic Council remains true to its purpose, which is to focus on the people that live in the Arctic, particularly the indigenous populations, to try to handle all of these new geopolitical currents that didn't exist in 1998, and making sure this almost 20-year-old Council continues to grow, to mature, to, to meet the, the challenges. The third, um, I think, uh, difficulty 
is that the, the Arctic itself is changing so rapidly, so profoundly. How can we slow this change down? How can we uh, hold and press governments to do more to reduce black carbon, to reduce methane emissions? Um, how can we help uh, with food security in the Arctic as uh, uh, subsistence hunting patterns change because of climate change? How are we going to move coastal villages uh, as uh, away from the coast and into safety? How do we deal with permafrost thaw? These issues were there during the chairmanship in 1998, but my goodness, how, how quickly, how rapidly they have progressed uh, beating uh, uh, expectations of most scientific models. So the challenge is enormous, new actors, and now potentially uh, you know, geopolitical tensions that may spill over into the Arctic. I think the U.S. chairmanship will have its hands full. At the High North Dialogue, he stated, we, the lower 48 and Hawaii, have to remind ourselves that we are an Arctic nation. Can you please explain if or how this knowledge or feeling of an Arctic identity will be enhanced during the US Arctic Council Chairmanship? Do you think more could be done in this regard? And if yes, what exactly? Yeah, absolutely. I Certainly, uh, the people that live in the state of Alaska have a very clear understanding of their Arctic origins. Um, unfortunately, the other 48 states may not wake up every day and realize that the United States is an Arctic nation. And uh, so what we're hoping in the lead up to the chairmanship and now as we take over the chairmanship beginning tomorrow, we're really hoping to use the next two years as a great opportunity to raise that public awareness, that education, that interest in what are the key issues in the Arctic, what is the U.S. chairmanship hoping to accomplish, uh, because, you know, you can't have informed policy if you don't have an informed public. And so there's going to be a lot of work just dedicated here in the United States to educating people about uh, the Arctic and, and what both the economic interests are, what are the environmental changes and impact, but again, always keeping uh, the people who live in the north at the, at the center of the policy. So I think that's going to be one enormous benefit uh, to our U.S. chairmanship, just uh, helping uh, the average American know a little bit more about the Arctic. Coming to our last question now. At the High North Dialogue, you also touched upon that the U.S. Arctic strategy lacks concrete formulations of what will be done, within which time frame, and at what cost. In your perspective, what is the most urgent topic that the U.S. has to deal with in relation to the Arctic? Yeah, well, let me let me talk a little bit about the U.S. Uh, agenda for the chairmanship, and then talk a little bit about sort of what what we see as a future for for U.S. Arctic policy itself. The Arctic Council is a consensus organization, so when every two years, when a new chairmanship begins to think about what it would like to do, it, it proposes some ideas, and of course, the other seven Arctic Council members and the permanent participants have to say, "Yep, yeah, that's 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 we support that." So, in some ways, it's not just with the U.S would like to do it's you know it's it's what the eight countries say this is a good thing and because you can't accomplish uh, big things in two years we uh, we see these chairmanships as sort of rolling uh, through to each other and what maybe begins in the US chairmanship will then extend when Finland takes the chair in 2017 so uh, we're very modest in what we can and cannot accomplish but but the US has set out uh, three priorities or three themes to 
focus on climate change uh, to, to mitigate, again, as I mentioned, black carbon, methane emission, to focus on ocean stewardship, ocean acidification, again, getting back to safety, uh, working hard on search and rescue operations, trying to bring a little bit more implementation to the agreement, uh, the search and rescue agreement that was signed in uh, 2011, as well as the oil spill response uh, agreement. And then finally, to, again, focus on the people of the North to look at ways to improve the economic and living conditions of the uh, uh, people of the North, and there's a series of initiatives uh, designed around that. So those are the three big themes. I think they'll, uh, the U.S. Chairmanship will also focus on how to strengthen the Arctic Council. Uh, as I said, it's, it's, it's done a lot of growing up over these last almost 20 years, and it's experiencing some growing pains along the way. How it was designed in 1996 is uh, certainly being challenged to operate efficiently in 2015. So the chairmanship will look at that. As far as U.S. policy, we, um, we have done a lot of writing the last few years, a lot of strategies at the national level. And now you're seeing where different agencies and departments like the Defense Department, like the Department of Homeland Security, others uh, will be writing uh, sort of what is their strategy and how will their funding and resources being given. We've also, the White House has created a new uh, coordinating body called the Arctic Executive Steering Group. And, and, but that's, that's an attempt to get a lot more senior level attention attention about the Arctic, prioritizing what are we not doing that we should be doing, and then hopefully down the road, beginning to fund some of these uh, important priorities. So we're going to be doing that simultaneously as we uh, work on our chairmanship. So the hope is that both through the engagement with the U.S. chairmanship, doing what we're already going to be doing, strengthening the U.S. domestic uh, policies that by 2017, when we, we hand the baton to Helsinki from the chairmanship and we welcome in a new, a new presidential administration uh, that we'll, we'll have elevated our Arctic policy and then moved to a phase of implementation. Uh, that's the hope. Now, we'll have to see if we can get that all accomplished, but uh, I think we're getting there. We may not have a strong Arctic identity here in Washington, but I, I've certainly seen an enormous amount of work and effort and focus. Uh, we understand we're a little bit behind, and I think we're, we're doing our very best to, to catch up and provide that important Arctic leadership. Dear Heather, thank you very much for taking the time to highlight some of the challenges the United States is and will continue to face in the Arctic. See you again in Buddha. Well, thank you, Andreas. It's been great speaking with you. Thanks for joining us for this podcast, which was recorded on April 23, 2015. Follow along with the series on iTunes or via our websites highnorthdialogue.no and thearcticinstitute.org. The music you have heard at the beginning and at the end comes from Heather Seferin and can be found at ccmixture.org.